Harper acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and the continuing connection to lands, waters and communities. We pay our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders past and present. Welcome to Taking Care, a podcast of APRA and the National Boards. I'm Tash Miles. We recently had an episode of two patient experiences from LGBTIQA plus communities. And today I'm joined by health practitioners about what they see as providers and receivers of healthcare. We're set to hear stories of what they see around them and what changes are necessary to ensure patient safety and equal access for all from LGBTIQA plus perspectives. I'm excited to have this conversation with Dr. Judy Tang, clinical neuropsychologist, board member of the Victorian Pride Centre and commissioner at the Victorian Multicultural Commission. Also, Dr. Lee Cubis, who's a clinical psychologist and senior research fellow. Welcome. Judy, could we start with an introduction from you, please? My name is Judy Tang, and as Tash mentioned, I'm a clinical neuropsychologist. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm also a board member of the Victorian Pride Centre and commissioner with the Victorian Multicultural Commission. And Lee. Yeah, so I'm Lee Kibis. I'm a clinical psychologist and I work across private practice and um, academic settings. So I do research and practice. And my background is that I've worked in the disability support sector for about 20 years in, in different roles. And my work as a psychologist sort of traverses um, a few different populations. And on that, talking about traversing different populations, this conversation is about ensuring safe healthcare for all communities and particularly in LGBTIQA plus communities. As a health practitioner, as a um, psychologist, what do your patients expect from you? I guess some, one of the main focuses of my private practice work is with people from LGBTIQA plus populations. And I'm a... Um, a member of that community myself as a, a gay man. My pronouns are he slash him. Um, and I think though that clients that, that present for psychology, regardless of which population they come from, expect a combination of sort of warmth, compassion, and a place to feel heard. Um, and I think that when we're working with people from LGBTIQA plus communities, we also need to go an extra mile to create a safe space where they know that their entire story is allowed to be in the room with us. Um, the role of a, a clinical psychologist is typically to support people to experience well-being through evidence-based practices that are tailored to an individual's circumstances. And then certainly there's a lot of work done to assure people of confidentiality and that we actually are going to have a professional relationship as well as a therapeutic relationship. So these are all the components that I guess you pull together to ensure, and I pull together to ensure that um, that people feel safe in the room. Mm. And and Judy, you wear a few different hats in terms of being a clinical neuropsychologist and also um, working for the Victorian Pride Centre. What have you seen um, in terms of the public and and people as patients expecting? safe care the idea that there will be no judgment you know that level of open-mindedness that is what's required and expected and it should be expected really as health professionals coming into that space um, and and leave very aptly put you know we need to extend that a bit more for uh, lgbtiqa plus members uh, in the sense that they might not have received that um, 
level of openness and no judgment from the community, uh, from the wider community and maybe other in other settings. So they'll, they uh, could come with a, a level of um, trepidation uh, and anxiety around um, potentially opening up and wondering what the outcome might be if they were to bring their full selves to uh, a healthcare service. Do you, Judy, do you have any examples of how you could create uh, a safe space? And I know that this probably is really different for every person that you see, but maybe a recent example of how you you think that you um, engage in a strategy which made people feel somewhat felt more comfortable and be able to bring their full selves? Yeah, definitely. I always approach it with a level of, um, I, I'm quite authentic myself, I guess that's the word that I would use. So I come in and I will quite honestly uh, say, if I don't know something, I will let them know. So, you know, explaining that situation to the set I understand you have a particular story you want to share with me or this information you want to share with me. Lee mentioned before about the confidentiality. Yes, we can go through all that. But also if there's anything I don't understand, you know, hopefully um, I, I'll, would it be all right if I were to clarify things with you? Uh, and that also then enables that level of rapport so the person comes in knowing that, okay, I can also provide them with information and um, they want to know. And, and I, I feel like that creates a level of safety um, and interest um, between the, the two of us. And I know that when people go and see a health practitioner, often that can be a really intimidating experience. Yeah. And often the health pr practitioner also feels pressured that they should know everything. <laughs> uh, and, I, and so it's you know, um, allowing the health practitioner to acknowledge that they don't know everything and that's okay. And if they can share that, that the share that truth uh, with, with their, their patient or their client that they don't know everything, um, that will create a more genuine connection. Lee, do you have anything that you could add to strategies to make people feel comfortable? Yeah, I think a lot of what um, what Judy just said really resonates with, with how I work as well. And I guess a lot of folks from the LGBTIQA plus populations experience a, a world that has told them from a young age that either there's something wrong with them or that, that their story isn't actually welcome in all settings. And so a lot of the work starts in the, in the first session. Um, and I think it is a balance between letting people know that, hey, it's okay, and this is a space where you can tell your whole story and nothing here is going to shock me, nothing here is going to make me sort of, you know, disgusted or, or, um, or judging you in any way. And then at the same time, accepting that, one understanding that people often have a lot of trauma around their story. And so I also will let them know, I'm not gonna push you to disclose things that, that you don't, want or aren't ready to disclose but just know that I'll check in from time to time and and see if you want to disclose anything more um, and I guess make it that that really explicit conversations early on that I'm comfortable with this you can be comfortable with this I'm not going to push you here but if and when you're ready to to chat about certain things I can hear it even in our intake forms, even in our email signatures, there are cues that we are a, a, a queer-friendly service. So there's having your, your preferred pronouns on your email signature. 
There's having intake forms that don't have prescribed gender labels. Um, these are things that I think can support people. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because I've also heard that, uh, I've also received some feedback that um, some clients or patients feel comfortable when they walk into the space and they see a rainbow flag, for example, a rainbow poster, and that's all they need, just to know that there's that, that visibility and that um, openness um, about it. It, it. Little things like that, even before they step through to their appointment makes a huge difference. It's an interesting thing that you kind of alluded to, Lee, and we've heard from a previous episode um, that there's often uh, previous trauma related to seeing healthcare practitioners in the past who, for example, misgendered them or made assumptions about the way that they um, want to receive healthcare. Is it hard to find safe care, do you think, apart, aside from your own practices do you think that it's a difficult thing to find care that's safe like without a doubt it is really difficult to to find care medical care um, psychological care broad health care that that is safe that is not heteronormative um, and and care that that meets people's needs that, that that are either not heterosexual or a gender diverse and it can be things like misgendering. It can be things like um, avoidance of topics completely, um, all the way through to really explicit comments, um, withholding of, of vital health care for people who really need it. And it's also uh, the um, health professionals coming in with their own assumptions of how things should be um, and not realising that they're there for the client or the patient and not for themselves thinking about it from like a consumer perspective as a patient when you're receiving care do you have strategies like apart from looking for a rainbow tick do you maybe rely on recommendations from people or do is there anything that you could recommend um for people who are seeking care from a health practitioner for the first time or have had a bad experience and need a new person uh judy if it was me i and i have done it is i've asked around friends, members of my community, LGBTI family, uh, whether they had any recommendations. And usually everyone's quite happy to share health practitioners that they have found were supportive and accepting um, and affirming um, to, to do that. So that's what I have actually personally done. Mm. And Lee? Yeah, likewise. I think we have much more availability of that in metropolitan areas and certainly moving even from... Brisbane to Melbourne two years ago, um, there are many more hubs in Melbourne, many more big clinics, many more um, people that you just know that if you refer somebody down, down that pathway that they're going to, that they're likely to get good care there. Um, it gets trickier outside of the cities, to the regions. And I think it's also in 2022, it's easier for me as a, you know, white cisgendered gay man to get good health care than it is for perhaps other members of our LGBTIQA plus populations where you really do need much more of a nuanced understanding of, of the attitudes and approaches of, of health professionals that you're sort of referring people to or linking them to. Do you think overall more health practitioners are getting better at get engaging with um people from LGBTIQA plus communities and supporting them, you know, living their identity? I'd say anecdotally, 
yes, I think things are improving. I think there's some really great advocacy organisations out there that have been working tirelessly to educate health professionals and, and try and get that education in place from sort of training all the way through to, you know, sort of late stage career. Um, I think also, but it's hard to know, is it getting better overall or is it that we have a better recognition of where the hubs are and where the, the good services are? Probably a, a mix of both. Judy? I like to say that it's getting better. I, again, anecdotally, it feels like there is some improvement only because there's increased visibility and discussion around LGBTI health and healthcare. You know, I'm just thinking specifically for the intersex and trans communities, they um, might not agree <laughs> that things have gotten better. Uh, so, you know, I, I feel like there's still a lot more room to improve. However, I do feel, I feel like we're making the right steps um, in, in that direction of improvement. And have either of you, uh, Lee, I'll start with you, have you seen uh, or experienced homophobia or seen transphobia in a healthcare setting that you could talk about? Before I was a registered psychologist, I was working as a nursing assistant for a long time. So I worked in hospitals and, and care facilities. And back at the start of that, it was really socially accepted that people would sit at the lunch table and make homophobic jokes, um, transphobic jokes, and that was kind of just part of life in that workplace. And things have changed and, and sort of come a long way since then. Um, I think there still is a lot of, of homophobia in healthcare. Um, I think it comes down to individual sort of biases and, and attitudes rather than it being a more, uh, I guess, accepted culture within healthcare. And I would expect that there's, and, and I guess listening to what my trans and gender diverse friends and clients tell me that they still face a lot of that. And it might not be the explicit um, Sort of insults that they would have experienced in the past, but it's still things like um, minimising their their experience, withholding things that they need to to be able to live their lives authentically. So I think it is still there, like that. And again, once you get further out of the cities, I would expect that it's worse and worse. Judy, do you have any experiences um, either uh, firsthand or, or that you've heard of of homophobia and transphobia? I do actually, I actually, I do. And uh, like thinking back of it, I do think of it every now and then and I either laugh and shake my head or I'm a, a bit shocked by it all. So basically I was at a case conference with a, a in a multidisciplinary sense, a whole bunch of different health, mental health professionals uh, in a child and adolescent uh, setting basically and the I think it was, yeah, it was the psychiatrist was talking about this uh, young girl she listened to basically at that age she was listening to some really heavy rock death metal music and I, I thought that was pretty cool personally so I was like well that's a very uh, varied uh, wide range of music taste so that's wonderful but the comment that she made afterwards was that that kind of preference and behavior meant that this young girl was at risk of lesbianism 
kind of funny looking back then other times saying I don't believe that actually happened so and it has it did happen that's an example yeah and any more rewarding examples do you have any stories of um, times when you've seen somebody be really supported or be really able to live their true identity because of a relationship that they have with a health practitioner for me I have seen some people be more involved in their own healthcare when they have a health professional that is genuinely open and affirming of them in their whole selves. I always mention I'm very excited for our next generations, our, our youth. I, I feel like they are much more on top of it all <laughs> than me and, and my generation, showing my age. Yeah, I, I just feel like we're heading in the right direction, which is what I mentioned before. And Lee, how about you? Yeah, look, you can't see this because it's a podcast, but I'm nodding my head emphatically when, when Judy talks about our young generation and the, the hope and the, I guess, the progress that's, that they're going to bring to healthcare. Um, I think something that I've found quite heartwarming is when the hospitals that I've been working in have adopted sort of allied programs and really implemented that across all levels of sort of medical and allied health professions. And you see more and more people walking around with like the rainbow lanyard around their neck, which I think is really nice as a person working in the system absolutely great for a patient in that hospital to have a who, who might be from an LGBTIQA plus background who um, feel would feel immediately like they're safe to be where they are if, if they see that this person is supporting an ally program and I think that it's those little things that we can't um, that we can't discount that make a big difference even uh, when I see a health professional myself and they ask me if I have a partner rather than do you have a wife you know, it's, it's small things like that that make me think okay this is this is a person who can who who can hear my story and and it's going to be okay um, all the way through to interactions with other health professionals in case conferences who are you know, just, just speaking really quite casually about this person's partner or using the correct pronouns. And it's not that they're making this big dramatic effort to, to be an ally. They're just going, this is, this is how it is. And, and I think that that really makes people feel safe and, and like they can be in that, in that setting and be their true self. Judy, do you have any kind of words of advice that you'd give to other to health practitioners who want to be better allies? To not be nervous about it. I've noticed that, uh, well, myself included, sometimes you're just worried of getting it wrong. Uh, and I feel like as soon as you get into that mindset, then it all becomes about you. It's, you know, you, you become more inward focused and focusing on what you will do wrong and how you're getting it right, as opposed to the client is here before me, the patient is here in front of me, what is it, um, you know, what can I do for them? It, that kind of, that, that's the advice that I'll give. Uh, as soon as you feel like you're worried about doing the wrong thing, you've actually then have begun the process of thinking about more about yourself than you are actually about the patient. Lee, you're continuing to nod emphatically. <laughs> is there anything else you would like to say and advice you give to health practitioners? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say that that idea of not being too nervous about it and not 
getting yourself all worried about saying the wrong thing is a, is a really good tip. And when I've sort of done ally training with organisations before they come in with all of these questions, they're often quite relieved to learn that it's okay to, um, to ask a question as long as it's done in a way that's, that's respectful and that they've got the permission to ask a certain question. Um, if I had advice for health professionals, I would say, listen, listen to what our populations are telling you is their experience and, and what their experience is and what they need from you and, and take the time to do that. And also there are so many good resources out there for learning how to navigate what can be complex for some people. So in terms of understanding diverse gender identities, for understanding um, different types of relationships, for understanding um, what gay is, what lesbian is, what bi is, what bi plus is, what, what all these different things mean. There's actually a bunch of great resources out there um, that are really accessible for you to, to upskill. Yep. I'd be super keen to hear from Lee actually around intersectionality because technically you and I uh, both uh, work in and with um, various intersectionalities for me for example um, I'm quite interested in multicultural LGBTI and I know the in our previous conversations you're quite interested in um, LGBTI and disability so I, I did receive some uh, feedback and anecdotes and actually the Australian LGBTIQ Multicultural Association put out a research on this around the experiences of multicultural LGBTI people um, in healthcare settings and, and amongst other settings and it was the notion that sometimes it feels like when it comes to intersectionality it's just they're put into boxes which doesn't really encompass who they are in its entirety. So they might approach an issue with just a multicultural lens and then switch over to an LGBTI lens as opposed to no, this person is multicultural and LGBTI at the same time. So um, that's one thing for health professionals to consider that, that intersectionality and being open and curious about how that plays out for that person. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because when it comes back to the question of um, is there sufficient sort of healthcare for people from LGBTI plus backgrounds? It's it's then thinking of people who are LGBTI plus and have a disability. Um, it then requires sort of two levels of, of kind of education and specialisation, almost or, or specialist knowledge from an individual to be able to to effectively provide a service potentially for that person, um, and also people with disability come from a background where having any kind of sexuality has been taboo up until very recently, let alone um, having a sexual orientation that is not heterosexual, let alone exploring different gender identities. So actually, yeah, very much um, there's, there's sort of layers of, of stigma and layers of, of barriers often for these folks to be able to yeah, be seen as, as Judy was saying, a person who um, has a disability and is from our LGBTIQA plus community um, rather than being one or the other.
Mm. The final question that I'm going to ask was a look to the future. What will it mean for patients and health practitioners in a kind of healthcare system which acknowledges all of these intersections, including LGBTIQA plus identities? When you see successful healthcare, um, what does that look like in this sense? For the future of our healthcare systems and to ensure that they're sort of safe for, for our LGBTIQA plus communities, uh, we need things like comprehensive LGBTIQA plus learning as, as foundational and then also across the trajectory of uh, people's careers. But we also need more healthcare providers from this community. So we need to really have more healthcare providers who are from the LGBTIQ plus community. It'd be great to have more um, people from gender diverse and multicultural communities working as healthcare providers. Um, and I think as well as being healthcare providers, we, we need these populations to be involved in decisions regarding healthcare as well. It's one of those things where I think it's successful when it actually, you know, the, the number of admissions is the good indicator. It means that we're doing something right. People are healthier um, mentally and physically and emotionally that they don't need to access that kind of uh, healthcare. So uh, that would be my uh, KPI, my sort of indicator of how things are going. We see healthier people. Yeah, exactly. I can't even put it any better than that. I don't think across all domains, we see healthier people physically emotionally yeah thank you judy and lee for an insightful and broad-ranging conversation about a range of issues and interconnected considerations that we need to have particularly from for lgbtiqa plus communities and their families and support networks thank you very much thank you and thank you for listening to taking care it's been a pleasure having you do you have any questions or comments? Email us at communications at rpro.gov.au. You can also subscribe, explore our back catalogue by searching for Taking Care in your podcast player. And until next time, take care. <laughs>